Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> Are you getting, How are you all doing today? Sounds like you're getting ready for the uh, going up in near Canada there. You're going up and getting ready for Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> you know. Should be fun. Yeah, it should be all right. I mean, I'm going to spend a week in Chicago first at the uh, NBAA ASBC Brewing Summit. Oh, cool. And then... Head over to Michigan. There sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I had a I had a blast. I went down to uh, Stone Brewing. Oh yeah, just, uh, you're collaborating, right? Yeah, with uh, the Heretic Stone and Beechwood Brewing. Uh, so oh, cool. Julian was there too, and uh, yeah, we had a blast. We uh, I I threw in a box of hops. <laughs> I uh, cut open a, a couple bags of uh, biscuit malt. You don't think those hops will be out of place, do you? I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, no, yeah, and it's funny because we we come in, you know, part way through, you know, batch whatever. Yeah. Um, and our because they're 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 doing uh, three batches. They the uh, to fill a uh, hundred and twenty barrel uh, fermenter. Or 100, 140 gross, and then they, they net like one twenty out of it. Sure. And uh, or no, it's uh, that's the size of the, the the batch, and they do three of those to fill a fermenter, a three hundred barrel, three hundred plus barrel fermenter. Okay. So they're doing like eighteen three hundred barrel batches, or something like that, or Good they're Lord. doing six six three hundred barrel batches. Yeah, so eighteen kettle batches. batches. Uh, into six 300 barrel fermenters of this collaboration beer yes wow so they're making a bunch yeah. yeah so that was my my work for the day it was hanging what out what kind of beer uh, is it going to be I mean, it is going to be just a double ipa well uh, between the three of you, it should be awesome yeah it, it, and the hops the hops are like a belma and uh um HB three forty two and oh that's a good sixty four hundred or sixty three hundred and um like something else I don't know Chinook and Centennial or something like that so a ton of ton of different hops smell toppy all right there you go and I, cool. they're, they're like yeah that's that's a bunch of hops that's more hops than we use in like ruination like, okay <laughs> <laughs> should be fine let's do yeah. it. Oh, we'll see. I think it'll try and find. And then we did a, another collaboration. We did a collaboration with uh, Roger at Faction. Oh yeah, we did that at Heretic, and that's and and with Nathan Smith. So Nathan, Roger, and and uh, Heretic, we did uh, 
a double black IPA, nice. 1.3%, and uh, we're serving that tomorrow. And then uh, we went down the following week to Faction, and we all brewed there and did a a session white IPA. <laughs> wow. So mm-hmm. the theory is you can blend the session white IPA and the double black IPA, and you end up with Janet's Brown. There you go. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll see what it turns out. I don't know, but uh, I think both beers are going to turn out really good. I am pleased. Cool. Well, I just got back from Brazil with Stan Hieronymus and Brad Smith. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we uh, went down there for the the state of Santa Clarita um, has a, a brewing association. I don't have the name in front of me right now, so I'll mangle it, but um, darn Cerevasia or mm-hmm. um, something or other, but it's in, with the state name. Sorry, guys. Uh, anyway, they um, had a real nice conference. Uh, had uh, Stan and Brad and I as speakers. Was that the and, one on the uh, island or whatever it was? Yeah, the island of Florianopolis, which yes. is yes. very nice. Mm-hmm. I recommend it as a vacation spot to everybody. It's um, nice climate. It's kind of L.A., um, Southern California-ish in terms of climate. And, so lots uh, of wildfires is what you're saying? No, it's actually very lush and tropical in terms – I mean, the latitude is about the same. So the temperatures – we were there – this is fall for them. And it was, you know, 75, 80, um, very, very green everywhere. And uh, the uh, the area was heavily settled by uh, Germans and Italians – so there's a lot of good breweries around there. Um, went to went to a bunch of good places. Um, a place called um, Fresha Preta, Fresha Preta, which means black belt. Another, another German brewery called Griffin Beer. Uh, another big brewery called Das Beer. Um, but they all made really good beers. <laughs> das Beer. That's yeah, awesome. I thought that was kind of fun. You're, you're not supposed to call the boot Das Boot, right? I think Dan Gordon chastised me for, right. for doing DOS, so I'm glad to know that Germans do still embrace the DOS fill-in-the-blank. Yeah. <laughs> they have fun with it. DOS beer. Ah, uh, yep, 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 yep. All right. Well, uh, that sounds like a blast. It really was. Great time. Went to an Irish pub for for several beers later. And uh-huh. They brewed, brewed on premise there, and um, they... Uh, their beers were good, and uh, did you have like meat on a on a stick? Sizzling well, meat no, on we a had stick? we had the full game plate from a place called Wunder yeah. Wunderwald. Wunderwald. Yeah. So what, did they go out and like kill everything they can in the backyard and <laughs> no burn no. it and put it on a stick. It was properly presented, and uh, we had duck, we had deep fried pig knees, we had sausage, deep fried pig knees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I didn't we know they had pygmies in in uh, in Brazil, and isn't that uh, an inappropriate uh, term to use? Isn't that politically incorrect? Well, I suppose the knees of the people? common poor sign could be reviewed as being slightly risque to some members of the public, but um, usually, oh, pig knees. Now I get. Yes. Now I understand. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, they were tasty. Just anything deep fried. Yeah, that's true. 
Pig pig knees is also a politically incorrect term, Jamil. Don't you know that's offensive? <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, sure, sure. Well, it depends on who you who you say pig knees to. Right. To, well, to pigs, it's offensive right. to pigs. Oh, it's Hello. like you know, it's like the wife's like, "How do my knees look?" And you're like, oh, "Dear, <laughs> it looks like you got pig knees." You know, that could be pro- improper. That could be a problem. That could be a yeah. problem. There you go. Well, and speaking of uh, a problem, no, speaking of not a problem, uh, our <laughs> fine sponsor, Blickman Engineering. Yes. Right. How about that, John Blickman? He's always innovating. Yes, and he's never been known to say anything politically incorrect. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> His rep- reputation precedes him. Yes, yes, absolutely. Probably a big like trail and behind him, too. Uh, no, uh, John Blickman and his team out there, Blickman Engineering, Blickman with two N's. Uh, go check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. They're uh, coming up with all sorts of innovations uh, to make your, your brew day you know, just that much more exciting. I am uh, actually uh, looking at forward to maybe trying out some new Blickman gear here at, uh, at Heretic. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah, a little something-something. Might, yeah. might be coming our way. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I've got a dibs on a um, a brew easy. I'm looking an all electric mm-hmm. brew easy. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to brewing that. Um, so I saw it the uh, saw the beta unit and uh, that he's been was working with, and uh, it's a really slick system. So he's going to have this at the conference too, right? Right. You'll be able to check it out uh, in uh, Michigan at the uh, at the homebrewers conference. And uh, make sure you stop by the booth. Make sure you say hi to John and his his team. Tell them you listen to the show and you appreciate the fact that they've paid for the show for the last seven years, something like that, yeah, or so. Uh, so you don't have to. So I think that's that's worthy of at least stopping by the booth and saying hi. Tell them you appreciate. Indeed. It. All right. Indeed. Uh, today we're going to be doing a Q and A uh, Q&A show, and. Uh, where we get the bulk of our questions is from uh, emails. You send your email in to uh, uh, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com, and we'll take a, we don't respond to those generally, but uh, we do take a uh, lot of questions from that for the show. So if you've got a Q&A question, just send it on in, and, and eventually we get to it. Mm-hmm. We do. So let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, I'll have a beer and uh, we'll have some questions right after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weld thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The auto sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. 
All right, BN Army, it's trivia time. What's the only homebrew shop with over 1,000 recipe kits, $4.99 shipping on orders over 100 bucks, and is also home of the Wolf Shirt? The one and only answer is Austin Homebrew Supply. For over 20 years, they've specialized in creating recipes such as the best-selling Texas Blonde Ale, Apocalypso, Hot Bomb 2.0, and Double Chocolate Stout. And they just recently unveiled their small grain kits that produce one gallon of beer. Visit Austin Homebrew Homebrew.com to browse their extensive catalog of equipment and ingredients. They also have many clone recipes of your favorite commercial beers. They're the exclusive retailer of Brew Vent Yeast Fuel as well, Yeast Nutrient, and the all-new Bodybuilder. Follow Austin Homebrew Supply on Google Plus to participate in video hangouts on popular brewing topics. So visit AustinHomebrew.com today and make sure you sign up for their weekly email with news and specials. Austin Homebrew Supply, AustinHomebrew.com. A vial of White Labs yeast is the key to your best beer. When you open a vial of White Labs yeast, you're giving your beer its best chance for a perfect fermentation. In addition to their already incredible variety of yeast, White Labs is proud to announce WLP 90, San Diego's super yeast, now available year-round. WLP 90 is super clean, super fast fermenting, with low esters and has a neutral flavor and aroma profile. It's alcohol tolerant and highly flocculent. For more of the latest White Labs news, click over to whitelabs.com, where you can read reviews of yeast, learn in the lab section, and join the customer club. And if you should find yourself in San Diego, White Labs has a brand new training facility for craft brewers and home brewers alike. Whitelabs.com. Discover yeast, nutrients, enzymes, and more for commercial breweries, home brewers, and homebrew stores. White Labs. It's all in the vial. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for any beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone certification program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones, no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, It's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact grain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com I'm Jason Harris, and I approve this message. 
back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right. I've got beer in front of me. Uh, we got questions queued up. I think we're ready. All right. Let's start with JC, who asks, "What percent?" Uh, this is a malt question. Uh, at what percentage of the grain bill will wheat cause a protein haze? He said, uh, I brewed an all-grain saison with 10% wheat, and it has a haze. I did not know if I should expect a haze because of the wheat, or is 10% wheat too small to cause a haze? Well, <laughs> yeah. Take the word right out of my mouth. Haze. Yeah. Um, are you going to take this one, John? Um, <laughs> you know? ah. Are you talking to yourself? Yes, um, no, I, I was just going to say, you know, normally there's enough protein around anyways to cause a haze. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily 10% weed is like nothing. Um, it's just what you do with that, that, uh, material, you know, so. Yeah. And I would add that there's several other factors besides grain bill or Mm -hmm. other, including other grains in the grain bill Mm -hmm. that can contribute to haze. So, um, yeah, there's nothing special about the wheat, I guess is the short answer Mm -hmm. in this in this case yeah you could have you know a bad uh, barley that could cause a haze you could have uh you know and yeah. generally you know it's um you know the tannins it's the you know if you get a lot of uh, protein left over and then uh you know you dry hop or something like that and you know the tannins mm-hmm. and the and the proteins and you get that uh tannin protein complex and then uh you, know, right. you get some haze from that as well or chill haze or so, um, because you can make a 100% wheat beer that's uh, clear, right? Yep, indeed. So, it's not, not the wheat. It's something else in your process. Uh, what would you suggest for him uh, to... World flock. <laughs> world flock, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Irish moss, world flock. Mm. Um, and... Uh, then yeah, I guess the other thing is I'd I'd have to I'd like to know what recipe, uh, what style he's brewing. I mean, like I said, there's so many there's so many different potential sources for haze. It could have been mm-hmm. his mash. Um, or could be what water water related in some way. Yeah, 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 yeah. If he had high manganese levels or uh, or tin or iron uh, in the water, that would mm-hmm. also cause haze. Yeah, check yeah. your water. See if it's manganese. It tastes, you can taste that. You taste 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 the real manganese. Yeah, really earthy tasting. Well, I mean, I, I, to put it in layman's terms, I guess you could say that. But you know, it's very manganese, as we say in the in the beer judging business. Oh yes, yes, right, right. That's the title of your next book, isn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> my my road to manganese. Yeah. Yes, the the Jamil story. <laughs> exactly. John, you gonna write the foreword? Yeah, I'm going to tell you it's sucking manganese. Yes. <laughs> All right, next question. From Chris in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, John and Jamil, I'm not new to fermenting, but I'm relatively new to homebrewing. I've read how to brew, and I'm currently working my way from the oldest brew strong shows to the newest. This may sound absurd, but I don't like hops. I prefer the maltier beer styles with maybe only mildly bittering. I don't like IPAs, in addition to being allergic to them. 
So let's stop there because I'm curious. Is is this guy really allergic or is he just up in his head? Is there is that a thing? Hop allergy? I'm first I've heard of it, but I know. Um, I I think yeah, a hop allergy. I I think absolutely could be. Uh, you know, because people have allergies to all sorts of things. Yeah, I know, but people are, they don't really, they're just hypochondriac. Uh, no, I mean, it's its like nickel allergies. I mean, most people are hypochondriacs, and they're just allergic to stupid things, and like people with like gluten and crap like that, that's just, it's totally meaningless uh, for the majority of people. Right. It does exist, um, but, but it not exists. nearly on right. the scale that yeah. one would be led to believe. But uh, I, I, I could imagine somebody could be allergic to hops. Yeah. Um, At first, I thought from his symptoms, which he goes on to describe as kind of like sinuses swelling shut, eyes mm-hmm. and nose itch. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe he's actually got celiacs. Um, mm. But if he's able to drink non-hoppy beers without these symptoms, then mm-hmm. it's probably not the gluten. Because there, there are some times when you know I get some seriously hoppy beers, and I can, I can, or you know, I'm smelling hops or something like that, and I will get congested from you know something mm. like that. And I don't know if it's just something else. Or it could be, you know, slightly mixed in with that, those hops. Maybe there was some other, you know, weed in the fields that somehow, you know, got mixed in and I'm allergic to Half that. Half-bound aphids. Yeah, I'm, you know, or some ragweed or whatever it would be. You know, I am, uh, you know, uh, allergic to things. I get, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, sinus issues during, uh, you know, allergy season. So, um, you know, it could be something along those lines. So. Yeah, well, and he does say, like uh, John was saying, that uh, his uh, his sinuses swell shut, his face and eyes itch, and he becomes uncontrollably sleepy when he uh, drinks anything strongly hopped. So he says when he's brewing a batch, he uses beer smith to drop his hops down to the bottom end of uh, the style that he's brewing. So his, his questions uh, are, there's two of them. One, is it possible to do well in a competition with a beer brewed at the bottom end of the IBU range? He hasn't entered a competition yet, uh, but... Uh, or is the uh, is it just the personal preference of the judge that you happen to get? Just wondering if I should even bother entering anything I make for myself, uh, or maybe make a special small batch just for competitions. You know, if, if it's uh, you know, you still have a good balance, so it's not just about you know adjusting hops. If you're going to adjust your IBUs or something like that down to you know a lower level, and then. Um, you know, not adjust the rest of the recipe, then it's probably going to be screwed up. But if right. you adjust it all, and, un- and and it's more important to understand what the balance is that you're looking for between, you know, the malt and the hops, not, well, hops is just a number, I'm going to lower it and leave everything else the same. You're looking for that overall perception of the beer. And if you can make that nice, yeah, you could win. Um, but if you're just adjusting one without regard to the other, then no, you're going to mess it up. Um the other thing I think might help them is it's not the – I'm almost certain it's not the alpha acids, the, the bittering compounds that are the issue. It's probably more of some of the other more volatile compounds. That uh, are, that, oils that would and be such, yeah. Right. So if you're looking at you know adding enough bittering for a certain style, I mean, you know, go to the non-hoppy styles, the ones that you know they have bittering but no – in no hop character and then use a very high alpha acid uh, hop so you use less of it so you're using less of the vegetal matter and uh you know that would probably help as well and then you could still get the bittering but you know or you could maybe even try extract that might be a way to go 
Uh, so you think ultimately his best bet is to uh, to well, I mean, if he if he were he should brew a batch just for competition, and if he could, if he does the beer he does for himself, he should look at other numbers besides just the hops. No, I would uh, no, I I don't think he has to brew something just for competition. I think you know if he's adjusting towards the lower end of the range on IBUs, well, you're going to need to adjust to the lower end of the range on some of the other aspects of the beer. How could try you for a balance? How could you do that for? Could, would you not hit your your target ABV or the the ABV that the style calls for since you're scaling everything back? No, well, it's a range. Yeah, you know, generally, you know, let's say they give you 35 to 50 IBU in a dry stout or whatever it is. Um, you could be at 35 IBU, but you need to adjust the rest of the things as well. But it's yeah. all part of the, the the given range. Yeah, the low end of the of, of the OG, um, that sort of thing. Maybe a little less of the uh, roast malts, mm-hmm. or a little more roast malt to make up you know bitterness on that end that you're not putting in in terms of IBUs. I mean, you'd have to play with the style. Okay, he did have a quick uh, second part of the question, which is, what is the minimum amount of hops IBU one, require? One part questions, dudes. One 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 question per email. You want to move ahead. on? No, go ahead. Okay, well, what is the minimum amount of uh, of hops slash IBU required in a brew to provide the preservative qualities uh, they can be used for, or does it really even matter once bottled or kegged? Uh, would a brew without hops last very long in a keg of purged air, purged of air? Uh, this is kind of it's a poor question in that um, the preservative quality of hops is not well understood here um jimmy i think you'll agree with me that the the preservative quality of hops is the alpha acids and oils ability to um coat uh cells um, bacterial or yeast Mm -hmm. and um in the case of bacteria it kind of prevents them from reproducing right um so that it Hops can protect from bacterial spoilage of the beer, souring of the beer, um, but they don't do anything to prevent oxidation as such. Mm-hmm. Your beer can still stale. Yeah, the hop, hop preservative thing's been overblown. It's it's like another, you know, one of those other things that everybody, you know, it's like first word hopping. Oh, my God, that's, you know, great hop flavor. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, you're just, you're just killing me with this stuff like that. And the same thing with the preservative nature of hops. The best preservative is, you know, good brewing practices. Right. You know, good boil, good fermentation, good sanitation. Uh, you know, watch air after you've, you know, after the beer's done, things like that. And then, you know, it'll, you know, uh, refrigerate it. The colder it is, the longer it'll last. Um, you know, things like that. And, you know, the beer will be last for, a, you know, far longer than you need to, uh, to have uh, the beer around to consume it. Um, and, you know, to answer the question, what's the IBU level for preservative? Um, I believe it's something like seven or nine. It's something really small. Yeah. Somewhere around 10, I think. Yeah. yeah. Seven, nine, 10, whatever. So there you go. There's your answer. All right. And, uh, Chris, the dark side suggests, uh, he's in the chat room. He suggests you switch to Gruitz because they have no hops. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's got other spices and crap in it and i uh, i think i've told this story before i'm at gabf i'm judging the spicer vegetable beers or specialty beers or something and um along comes this beer and it just says like you know cinnamon 
such and such, and like 13 other herbs and spices. And I'm like, okay, and I'm doing fine. And I take a sip of this, and immediately I have this allergic reaction to it. And it's like my throat's closing up, and I like my face is swelling. I'm, I'm like near death. I'm like anaphylactic shock. And uh, I'm like, oh my god, you know, what the heck? What's in this? And uh, somebody quickly brings me some uh, antihistamines, and I take that, and you know, it starts to just starts to go back down. But it was terrifying, and I'm just like, what kind of crap is in there that it would cause that? Because I'm I yeah. not really allergic to any foods or anything. I've often wondered how they can do that, because if you read nutrition labels, of mm-hmm. uh, it, it'll, it'll say, like, it'll list really specific ingredients, right. polypropyl phenol number mm-hmm. B4, right. and then it'll say other natural flavors. Right, right. Well, are you being <laughs> yeah, specific or no? <laughs> Well, and, uh, you know, something like that. And I think as a brewery, you need to be careful uh, because, you know, you put something in there that, that could kill somebody and then you send out a competition. Uh, you know, I would I would be very cautious of giving, you know, very odd, you know, things that are common food ingredients, common food spices. That wouldn't wouldn't worry me too much. Because uh, then, you know, something like that, and you say, oh, it's got spices in it, and you're giving it to somebody. They're like, hey, I'm allergic to, uh, you know, pepper or something. And you go, oh, yeah, it's got pepper in it. Or I'm allergic to cinnamon, you know, common stuff. But when it's like some esoteric bark off a tree and, you know, in, from the yeah. Antarctic or something, uh, then... Uh, yeah, castor root. <laughs> right, yeah. Rhubarb if you're having to, If you're having to dig it up... <laughs> and then, like, have a cat eat it and shit it out and then put that in your beer. You know, maybe then you ought to, like, warn people before they drink it. I think BrewDog is doing that. Right, right, right. Or if you're putting a raccoon penis in your beer. How do you get then, the raccoon to hold still for that, I wonder? Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it, it depends on the size of the opening. Uh, and then, uh, you know, something <laughs> like that, which uh, uh, and, but at least that had some fair warning to it. Um, there you go. Have, I would just be careful. Have you been given guidelines at Heretic as far as what you have to list exactly and what you can get away with just saying other natural flavors? Uh, you know, in your in a pub setting, you can put anything in it you want, essentially, and then you know serve it to people with like no warning whatsoever. Uh, but if you are a packaging brewery and you send stuff out, uh, all the that that stuff has to go through a formula approval. And then, um, and they they do look for you know they're not going to make sure everything's hundred percent safe, but they do look for common like you're putting mercury in it or something, and and there's certain additives that some large breweries add for foam stabilization and clarity and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Instead of using Heisen glass bladders, you use blowfish bat bladders. Right. They have uh, yeah, they have uh, you know technical limits on it, so they check that <clears> stuff. All right, next question is uh, more hops and also from a guy named Chris, the dyslexic alchemist. Uh, He said, in the beer staling episode back in 2011, uh, you guys talked about how the hops and the malt oxidize over time, and the hoppier and lighter beers last the shortest amount of time. I was under the impression that hops were supposed to be a preservative in beer, in addition to bittering and adding cat pee shrubbery character. Uh, (laughs) That's the whole point of the IPA, right? Is it the bittering aspect that helps preserve the beer? Who is this, JP asking this? It's... (laughs) <laughs> writing under the pseudonym Chris, perhaps. 
Uh, is it the bittering aspect that helps preserve the beer while the shrubbery flavors and pissy aroma are what get oxidized and drop out? Or does the bittering drop out as well? Is there a difference between preservation and staling? Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. You took the word right out of my mouth right again. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, there's, a, there's a, a difference between those two. And like we said earlier, you know, the preservative effect of hops is really just, uh, you know, mainly uh, microbiologically microbiolo- uh, uh, preservative, I think. Microbial, yes. Uh, yes. Um, the... Um, the cat piss and shrubbery. Right. Yeah. I mean, all those flavors drop out, including the uh, the bittering. Uh, they oxidize is what happens to them. The mm-hmm. compounds oxidize and they convert into um, insoluble compounds that will drop out. They convert into non-aromatic compounds, et cetera, et cetera. Well, even in the lack, with the lack of oxygen, they will still... Um You'll experience a reduction in those uh, True. compounds yeah. as well. So, uh, and then staling. So there's oxidation, which uh, you know essentially is you know can be part of staling, or you can have staling without oxygen. Right, using well oxidation reduction type reactions where mm-hmm. it's a chemical reaction between constituents in the beer that aren't necessarily oxygen, but they're mm-hmm. um, electron donors or acceptors. Mm-hmm. And uh, heat, of course, accelerating that process. So, um, why was he asking about uh, uh, if hops are a preservative, et cetera, et cetera? He yeah. said he was just having a hard time understanding why anyone would add something that subjectively stinks and tastes bad and uh, uh, costs time, energy, and money to make if it doesn't perform its intended function. Well, its intended function is actually... People think they taste good and smell good. That's their intended function. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if just because, as he said, subjectively, you know, if, if he thinks that they're not, then it's apparently not for him. It's not for JP, but it is for, you know, uh, a lot of other people. There are several uh, so. things that look, you know, smell bad, and t- don't taste that great. You really develop a, a fondness for. Is that what you tell your wife? <laughs> oh on that zinger let's take a short break and we come back john will have forgiven me and uh we'll be talking uh, once again right after this stole my punchline a few things happened 30 years ago arpanet migrated to tcpip and the internet was born revenge of the jedi was renamed return of the jedi and opened in theaters Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and Bruin brother Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit the store in Dublin, California and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. There's an app on the iPhone for just about everything, including beer. 
apps for finding a pint of beer, apps that look like you're drinking a pint of beer, and now there's an app for brewing a pint of beer. Introducing BrewPal, the most all-inclusive beer brewing app for professionals and hobbyists that fits in your pocket and goes wherever you do. Recipe formulation that can be imported and exported with a customizable database. Mash and sparge calculations, yeast pitching rates, carbonation tables, and more. Available right now for less coin than a pound of grain. See BrewPal in action at brewpal.info and download it for your iPhone at a special introductory price right now. BrewPal, all the brewing software you need right in your pocket. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and then to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines, so I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine is the new go-to source for home brewing enthusiasts and anyone passionate about craft beer. Each new issue is full of inspiration, recipes, and techniques for home brewing, cooking and pairing food with beer, and features from craft brewers and the world of craft beer. More than 120 full-color pages of content, quarterly releases, and annual specials. Get practical advice from brewing experts, equipment reviews, great interviews, and much much more. There's a new craft beer magazine available right now. Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine on newsstands now. Visit www.beerandbrewing.com. Subscribe now and get your limited edition bottle opener free today. Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, the new word in craft beer and brewing. Brewing announces their first customer recipe issue since 1991. This free 64-page catalog includes 27 of the best home brewing recipes submitted by their regular customers. Best of all, this paper-only catalog is free for the asking. Just go to williamsbrewing.com and click on the free customer recipe issue link. This offer expires October 18th. While you are on the site, check out some of the latest exclusives like the Williams Oatmeal Stout Malt Extract, the Big Oxygen System, and they even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enjoy their famous customer service. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific Time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. 
All right, we're back. During the break, we uh, talked about uh, we talked about uh, we talked about air conditioning and how the new studio <laughs> is going to actually have proper air conditioning. Because we talked about uh, how caffeine affects your cell. We talked about uh, how temperature affects you, and then we talked about how the temperature will suck in the new studio as, as badly as it does in all the other studios that we've been in. Well, it's the same guy that built your brewery, Jamil, that's built in our <laughs> bar, and he has sworn up one side and down the next that we will be comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. All right. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, eh, whatever you say. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, this is a yeast question here from Casey in Castro Valley. Hey, what's up, guys? I wish I would have caught the last Sour Show live so I could have thrown... This question in there, but I've been struggling with a few. Uh, regarding me. my, uh, that's the guest in the studio. <laughs> Contain yourself, please. The police officers belching into the mic. Uh, he's been struggling with a few things regarding his hours that weren't in the show. Uh, you guys have definitely talked about these topics, but I'm stupid and get confused easily. Please hold my hand while I delve into the world of sour. So, first one is I constantly hear about the pellicle forming on the top layer, which I have on all three of my sours. But at the same time, I hear about the importance of continually topping off the barrels with wort. To reduce uh, O2 contact. How are both possible? If I keep topping it off with fresh wort, won't I just keep blowing out the top? Uh, I've heard adding marbles to bring the level up works great. Uh, that's just going to aerate the hell out of it, right? Mm. Uh, well, I can see topping up a barrel, yes, but is he fermenting in barrels? Right, I think I think so. It sounds like he's kind of a little mixing one and the other. Um, smells yeah. and oranges here. Uh, generally, if you are souring in barrels and you know the the, the core of fermentation's done, uh, you don't top up with wort, but you top up with with beer. Um, you know, a lot of breweries like uh, Cantillon and Russian River. What they'll do is, even when they're you know. Fermenting in the barrels, they'll um, only top up once. So they'll, they'll get it going, and then I forget the point at which they top up, but it'll be like maybe a, a couple or a few weeks in. They'll top it up, and then that's it. They never touch it again. And, you know, a lot of it is to not disturb the, the pellicle. The other thing is um, if you let the level drop, you, you get more surface area, you get more pellicle, you get a little more of that bright character, I think. Um, the, the you know it's a balancing act because if you let too much oxygen in, you get too much activity with the Brett. You can actually the Brett uh, can actually generate uh, acetic acid, a vinegar character, and you don't want that. Right. So uh, you kind of want to be careful. Um, when we did the uh, miscreant, oh, which just got a gold at the uh, uh, Australian International uh, Sweet. Awesome. What category? Um, Hell if I know. Uh, beer, I think it was a beer category. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, that's one that we topped up religiously every week. We kept that thing topped. I wanted to minimize, you know, the oxygen things like that. And um, you know, it, it, I think you know the souring and a lot of the other activity, you know, and that character takes longer. It's a little more mellow that way. Um, if you let it kind of draw down, because the thing will evaporate. I mean, you'll be shocked at how much will evaporate out of these. Um, then, 
you know, uh, letting it draw down will kind of accelerate some of the process. So, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. But I wouldn't screw them with marbles. I mean, the the, the topping off thing, you know, topping off with, with new fresh beer, you know, unbarreled beer to uh, keep the level up, um, that's one thing. But if you, you know, you toss in marbles, you're poking holes in the pellicle with that, too. But I mean, a little hole, like taking a sample or something like that. It's not not the end of the world. So when you say top off with wort, you mean it's the the, the base beer? You, you just have to keep brewing fresh base beer to top it off. That's what I'm saying. Don't yeah, don't uh, don't top it off with wort, but actual beer. I guess you could top it off with wort, but then you're adding more unfermented uh, sugars into the beer, and you know they will need to be consumed. So. If you're talking about slow bacterial action or something like that, that may not be the best way to go. Um, what I usually do is make more beer than will fit in the barrels. And then it's fermented out, and then it's added to the barrels, and we save some in, in kegs. And then we use the keg to top them off. So we'll have uh, you know, a keg and just and uh, we'll use a, uh, a barrel filler and shoot it into the kegs or into the barrels from the keg. He goes, okay. he goes on to say uh, that um, he's heard you two say that you don't want to age the sour beer on top of the yeast cake, uh, but if you inoculate a barrel with the critters, then fill the barrel with the sac, uh, Saccharomyces fermented beer, it's going to build a population while it attenuates the rest of the beer down, uh, sure. let's say from the mid-teens to terminal, uh, like 1002. Right. Is that uh, population minimal enough not to worry about? Or one step further, uh, doing primary fermentation with Brett or Lacto or PDO, um, do you still need a secondary for that sort of thing? Uh, you know, you can get quite a, you know, a Brett cake. Um, you know, generally, if you do the, you know, fermentation in another vessel, then you're okay. If you want to do everything in the, you know, in and once you transfer to the barrel, the the amount of buildup in there is generally minimal. But if you want to um, ferment directly in the barrel, um, you know, it just depends on so many things. Yeah, I'd say I I agree with you. I think doing the primary fermentation in another uh, vessel, then transferring to sour, to a barrel to sour, mm-hmm. um, that amount of yeast is not a concern. Right, but uh, you know, direct into the barrel for for you know your initial primary. Yeah, and then uh, however long much. you yeah. sit to sour, I mean, six months. Yeah, you're probably going to get some autolysis and yeah. some of those flavors. It's a meaty, but uh, you know, one of the things that I think helps slow that down a little bit is um, you know the micro oxygen that comes in. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I think that helps. It depends what kind of yeast it is. If it's like Brett. You know, it's used to those conditions, and I think it doesn't break down uh, as much as, like, a regular sack yeast does. But with, you know, Brett getting micro-oxygen, having some other foods to eat there, being able to access the starches and things like that, I think that kind of keeps it going, and you don't get um, as much breakdown or death that way. Okay. Here's the next one, uh, another yeast question. This one's from Travis Comble. He said, guys, if I add five pounds, which is a 17.2%, into a three-pound sack. Will it overflow? 
Uh, if I add five pounds of cane or beet sugar a day, uh, a day or two after pitching yeast to a 10-gallon batch, do I pitch for the OG before sugar or including sugar? I am brewing a Belgian style and uh, want some yeast character. I generally go with, you know, pitch for what you're going to ferment out, you know, in, you know, the first couple of days. Um, you know, base your pitch off of that. OG uh, before sugar then? Yeah, generally. That's what I was thinking too. I mean, if you're if you're going to go mad with sugar additions, then you might want to add more yeast later on as well. And you know, if you're going to get up into, you know, some seriously high uh ABV levels, then mm-hmm. you might you might start worrying. Um <clears throat> if it's a, you know, one a sugar addition, you know, partway in, you know, that's no big deal. Right. This guy also wants to know uh, if it is uh, significantly affecting his pitching rate and end product when fermentation uh, pushes yeast uh, into his blow-off tube. He said, there's a measurable increase in the volume in my blow-off container. Uh, not that I measured it, but I could. But what do you think? Is it affecting his pitching rate? Is it affecting no. his pitching rate? Well, I mean, it's it's taking yeast out of the solution, I think, is what he's talking about. So Yeah, but it's coming off the very top if he's talking about blow-off. Um, right, which is you know as far as uh, you know, yeast go, it's it's great yeast for uh, repitching. Um, right. It depends, and you know I also believe you know once once that drops back down into the beer, that yeast can ha- be active still. You know it, it can re-enter and be active in like di- diacetyl re- reduction things like that. Um, but generally, um, you don't need to worry about it. You know, the when it's fermenting, fermentation is with the yeast that's in in suspension, not on the surface. So if you take that off, you still get fermentation. You know, all the yeast is being carried up by CO two. So uh, yeah, don't think that's really as much of an issue. All right, let's take a, a short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. And now, Northern Brewer presents What If Homebrewers Ruled the World. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I will lead you into the gallery area. Now, the first piece up for sale today is a Jamil Zena Chef original, a bottle of 1997 vintage Evil Twin. Oh, I see. A bidding for this one-of-a-kind piece will start at £7,000. And if you'll continue to follow me, ladies and gentlemen, I can show you a rather abstract piece from Bay Area brewer Justin Crossley. It's a German Doppelbach entitled Justin's Giant Bach. The brewer's notes here indicate that this beer had excellent mouthfeel. That's just a crazy dream. Or is it? With Northern Brewer, a thirsty nation can craft its own ale and water for the greater good of mankind. Northern Brewer, the home of superior customer service and the finest selection of home brewing goods for the future. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home-brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your homebrew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. 
John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read your way to better homebrew. That's it. I've had it. I am never putting hops in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a homebrew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special Secret Elite. Elite Bare Bones Club, where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***ing shit! NicoBrew.com. N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W. NicoBrew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Have you ever dreamed of attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Anstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2015 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition to the 2015 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 13, 2014, every Danstar yeast pack you use is your ticket to enter. Visit danstaryeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter. So get brewing with Danstar and get your entries in to the Danstar 2015 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at danstaryeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Danstar and Lalamond Premium Brewing Yeast and in to win. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer when it spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like... Wine Guys Brew Strong Alright, so during that break we learned what a chicken shit uh, Scott is Oh please, you would have been scared too (laughs) (laughs) How dare you (laughs) You knew that was coming Go on (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. We talked about uh, salvation and uh, 
and classic rock. Now, all during that break, <laughs> you missed all of that uh, from the good folks. Uh, brought to you by the good folks at uh, AdamandEve.com. Yes. And uh, God said, God, visit Adam and Eve. God said, buy a big dildo. Uh, for a limited time only, adamandeve.com. And you can pick up uh, three free adult DVDs. You, so you go there. You buy just one thing, right? You, you pick out the one thing you need, whatever that might be. Lubrication, Use, perhaps? Yeah, lubrication, perhaps. Use the, uh, the offer code Jamil, J-A-M-I-L, at checkout. And then you're going to get three free adult DVDs. You're going to get uh, free shipping, and you get a free extra gift. So sensual, I can't really tell you what it is. But you know, it's not just any three free DBEs. You know, they're not, like, scraping the barrel, giving you, like, the, you know, the, the pig fucker DVDs. What they're going to give you, you get a choice. You know what your choices are? You ready? Everyone get ready. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You've slowed me down. Got bells on. <laughs> Anal amateur big breast, big butt, bisexual, chunky, coeds, fetish, gay, interactive POV, lesbian, milfs, etc. You get to choose from all those good, good, good categories. Uh, you can even shop from your mobile phone. AdamandEve.com. Check it out. Use the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L. And uh, again, you buy one thing, 50% off. All the rest of that stuff's free. Free shipping, free extra gift, three free DVDs. So check it out today. Uh, they've been a longtime sponsor as well. And... Uh, uh, you know, by by all counts, they're actually uh, some good people and do some uh, good customer service. So check them out. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got time for maybe one more question or any questions from the chat. Yeah, let's do another one. Uh, you're going to love this, John, because this guy said, Hi, Scott and Jamil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there seems to be uh, two yeast growth equations uh, in use these days. Uh they, uh, they both give wildly different estimates for final cell count. Uh, for example, try 50 B cells in a 2-liter starter using both Brockheiser and White. You get answers of 338B and 193B cells, respectively. That's see- billion, by the way. Billion, okay. Okay, B. Uh, I see a lot of uh, people transitioning to use the Brockheiser uh, yeast growth estimates. Um, the reason being that there were some pretty convincing science posted to back it up while claiming that the uh, uh, Chris White and Mr. Multi numbers came from scaling the growth numbers of a starter shaken intermittently. He was wondering uh, if uh, Jamil has seen any of these calculators and claims and, and what does he think of them. He's confused as to why they could be so different. Yeah, you know, so a couple of things. One is, um, you know, I, I spent six months growing up starters, different strains, different methods, and counting... Uh, the results, graphing them all out, and then also um, the good folks at Y East, uh, Greg Doss, he had done the same thing, and lo and behold, we both came up with almost identical curves. And um, so that's what the Mister Multi calculator uses is that because of the lab work and uh, independently verified by another source. The thing about yeast and yeast growth, and a lot of times I see these other things where there's science behind it, and what they use is numbers, and they say, well, you know, if the mass of yeast and the amount of sugar, and if they use all this, then, you know, they're going to grow like this, they're going to grow like that. The reality is yeast don't use numbers to grow. They are a natural, you know, fungus that is... 
reproducing at a certain rate and under certain conditions, and all these things have an effect on them. And so the actual number that you get out at the other end may or may not be what the predicted theoretical thing is. That's why you really need to grow it, measure it, and then see what your result is. And that's why those numbers may vary from, you know, what you might see somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen several things where people, you know... And different strains could grow at different rates. Right. Different rates. uh, Different cells have different mass. Mm -hmm. So not all cells, you know, weigh the same or have the same amount of material that make up a cell. And so if you're saying, oh, you know, I count, uh, you know, 10 billion of this lager yeast and I count, uh, you know, 10 billion of uh, this ale yeast. Well, that ale yeast may be, you know, 50 times more mass to it, you know, or, uh, you know, vice versa. Or you may have, uh, you know, same. that's why people go, well, can't I just tell how much yeast is in, in there by looking at, you know, the volume? Yeah, not really, because, you know, the cell size can be completely different. You know, one can be, you know, tenfold bigger than the other. So that's one of the issues. What you want to do, though, is, you know, just make sure you have enough. And it doesn't really matter. I keep telling people this. Uh, people are like, well, you know, what about this calculator, that calculator? They don't agree. It's like, well, personally, I think use the Mr. Malty one. <laughs> Because because it's free, and it really does help to ensure, you know, a consistency uh, in your beer. So what you're looking for is making sure you always have enough yeast. It's, it's, it's not so easy to, comp- to over-pitch a beer, right? That's right. Yeah. It is Much easier very to easy to under-pitch. So you stick with the numbers in Mr. Malty. And that is a safe one. People go, oh, you know, the viability, even the, the yeast guys were a little miffed at me to, to put the viability numbers I did. Now, those viability numbers in the Mr. Multi Calculator are actually based off of, you know, going through and checking viability on these things. And you just don't know uh, how, a, you know, a package of yeast has been treated until you got it. You know, how long did it sit in the UPS truck? How long did it sit on the floor at the, at the, the homebrew shop before it got put in the fridge? I mean, did somebody, you know, think they wanted to buy it, walk around the store for a couple hours with it, and then at the end decide they didn't want it and put it back in the fridge? I mean, who knows? So you can't be 100% certain. So you got to take a, you know, kind of a worst-case scenario on that and say, well, okay, you should have this viability still. Even under, you know, adverse conditions, this is generally what you're going to have. And that way, you're sure that when you invest $40 in some ingredients – that you're going to get decent beer out of it versus, you know, people that want to know exactly how many cells they have, they should be counting them. They shouldn't count, you know, rely on a calculator that is just going to be an estimate no matter what. So all these things, it's it's like freaking IBU calculators. People are like, oh, no, exactly. no, this is, this is correct. This is, that one's correct. They're all wrong. Every single one of them's wrong. I'll tell you right now. That's okay. It's just a tool for you to have some consistency. When you make that beer now, when you make it later on, you go, "Well, I want it more hoppy, or I want you know, you know, uh, you know, to make sure I'm, I'm attenuating well. I don't think I pitched enough yeast." Then you can adjust based off of that. But you know, that's its sole purpose. And what you need to do is you need to you know taste the beer afterwards and decide, 
hey, you know, maybe this problem I'm having is because I'm not pitching enough yeast. Uh, I need to make sure that, you know, my number is this or whatever it would be. If you want to know exactly how many cells you're pitching, then you need to get yourself a microscope, a hemocytometer, and you need to count them. If you want to know what IBUs you're actually getting, then you need to get, you know, a spectrophotometer. You need to go ahead and, you know, measure the IBUs. You know, same thing on color, all this stuff. All the software out there is crap as far as calculating any of this. You know, Beersmith, ProMash, all of them, they're crap for the equations. They're great tools, but don't count on them to tell you what your beer is. You'll find that out by tasting it, by, you know, by measuring it, the final result. People will go, well, you know, my, my uh, ABV is this. Well, how do you know? Well, that's what the software told me it would be. And they haven't even, like, measured their final gravity or their starting gravity. It's like, you know, measure your starting gravity, measure your final gravity. Then you know, then you have an idea what your ABV is. You really don't, uh, you know, 100%, but uh, you have a pretty good idea. Um, yeah, your, your you know. message is that all software are models. Yes. They're tools. Yes. What what about over pitching? That that's uh, I don't even know if I've ever really heard of a beer that that has been done upon. H- how would one even over pitch? Make too big a yeast starter? Yeah, um, you can take uh, one of the things people like to do is not do anything with their yeast. They'll rack a beer off and then rack a beer onto the that giant mess in the bottom of the fermenter. And there you can have uh, an over pitching situation. And what is it? What happens? Uh, you know, the beer's just lacking. I purposefully did it. I went and got a massive pitch of yeast from a, from a, a brew pub and uh, massively overpitched a, uh, a beer to see what the results would be. And, um, you know, it just, it lacked character. It attenuated uh, fairly well. Uh, it left some acetaldehyde, but uh, it... Yeah. Uh, you know, in, it it just it, it you get some some character from growth that is important to the production of beer and the flavor and the character of beer. And if you overpitch, it doesn't need to grow. Yeah, you don't often get you don't you don't get the ester character. Um, you may get some acetaldehyde character left over. It depends. So uh, there's you know. there's never a situation that would call for the the characteristics or lack thereof that come from overpitching. There would never be a reason to do it. Uh, you know, I, I suppose you could come up with something to do that and, you know, make make your own. You know, you'll, you could always make your own beer style. Uh, but there is no classic beer style that, you know, encompasses that. And, Jamil, would you agree that overpitching is itself a kind of a bell curve? I mean, mm-hmm. you you overpitch a little bit. It's not a big deal. It's when you overpitch a lot. That you yeah. problems. It's a massive amount. Yeah. You know, and it's not like an immediate effect. Oh, my God, I've gone over, you know, yeah. pitch double the amount. It's like, yeah, I pitch triple the amount. It's not, you know, then, you know, or four times the amount. It's not twice as bad as that. It's, you know, it's it's a pretty, pretty mellow ramp to problematic. Right. Uh, so, again, you know, Use whichever one you're most comfortable with. I mean, I think one of the great things about Beersmith is people find it easy to use. They, you know, they, they like all the options in it. And, you know, go ahead and use those calculations. Um, if it's handy for you and, and, and it works for you, continue using it. Uh, you know, if you, but the important thing is to, to taste the results and to, to analyze the results 
and then use those tools to help you model, you know, what you should be doing uh, differently. You know, uh, that's that's really the only way to do it. All of that software out there, and this comes from somebody who made their living at software. It's all crap. You know, as far as <laughs> modeling reality, it does a very poor job of it. So there you go. Ah, yes. Making friends in the beer industry, <laughs> show by show. Yeah. Support Beer Schmitz. Uh, support those who support us, please. Right, right, right. As much as it sucks, <laughs> go just, use it. I yeah. just said it was crap. I didn't say it sucked. That's true. I just said the uh, all the formulas out there, I mean, they're all just... They're all you know, models. Yeah, they're so all models. And the any benchmarks, model. you need to set up, look at the benchmark, look at what you get, and work from there. Well, and like you wonder why the weather forecasters are always wrong. Yeah, they're using the same sort of modeling thing, and, you know, that's why they're wrong. You yeah, know? but, you know, people do trust the weatherman over looking out the right. window. They're like, yes. well, it said it, said it was going to rain. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it, and it's not paying, raining. You know, if they pay so much money for it. It must be right. No. So there you go. All right. If you enjoyed that, make sure to, to check out our fine sponsor, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, check out the Brewery Network store. Lots of goodies in there. Uh, shirts, hats, hoodies, books, everything. And all that stuff goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. So uh, make sure to stop in there, check that out, and support the Brewing Network. Till later, everybody. Brew strong. Brew strong. Brew strong.